Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And just forget all about that stuff you just heard. That, that doesn't matter at all, actually. Any of that, except for being married 40 years. That, that matters a lot, actually, uh, in case she hears this. Uh, well, listen, I am so glad to be here today. I can't tell you how much, uh, because driving over here today took me back to 1990, when uh, First Evangelical Free Church uh, was a, a church of 70 older people, and they were praying for a revival, and Westlake Bible Church released me to go across town and have God work, just, and a miracle happened, and, uh, you know, for many years, we did college ministry here, uh, very exciting, we ran shuttles, there were so many kids coming, at one point, I think maybe almost a thousand students were at our church, and uh, so now, I'm pastor emeritus, which only means this, it means that you're old, <laughs> and hopefully it means that you have a little bit of experience, and you're able to take from God some of the things that you learned along the way to be a help now for the generations that are following. And that's my prayer today. My prayer is that you open your heart to God, not so much to me, but to God, and, and discover the things that He wants to say to you so that when you leave this place, you continue to, continue to ponder what you heard and ask the Lord, is this so? Today I want to talk about a subject I think is absolutely essential. I, I know that you all are desirous to be uh, out there and trying to win people to Christ and be missional along the way. I love that. But there's something you have to commit to before you become missional. And it's this, you have to discover the awesome power of God. I mean, don't you want that in your life? Don't you want the promised power of the Holy Spirit in your life so that you can be effective in evangelism, can be effective in being a great spouse, effective in being a great friend? Don't you want the power of God in your life? I do. In fact, there have been a couple moments where I so wanted the power of God and I prayed like crazy that God would help His power flow through me and a couple of these moments only to find out that it wasn't happening. For example, I remember being a high school student growing up in Utah and sharing as carefully as I could with my friends the truth of grace of the gospel with my Mormon friends. And having very few of them come to faith in Christ. Resistant. I mean, it's like scales over their eyes. Very interesting. But I remember another episode that had to do something with healing. And I, you know, I'm from a Bible church background, so I'm not crazy. So don't think of me crazy when I tell you this story. But there was, a, there was an older couple in our church that when we came from Westlake Bible... To first free, they were the bridge between the young people and the old people. They stood in the gap and welcomed all these students that were coming. They made such a difference. So the morning when I got a call from Al Likens, the husband of Joanne, this 
wonderful couple that she had collapsed in the bedroom and he thought she had passed away. I got in my car as fast as I could. I got there right after EMS had come, or actually the police had come and pronounced her dead in the bedroom. I love this woman, Joanne. I didn't know what to do. Do I just say some comfort prayers for Al? You know, we don't grieve like those without hope. Or do I do what the Spirit of God, I thought, was nudging me to do? I said to Al, I've never done this before, and I've never done it since. Can we pray for Joanne that God would raise her up? Now you have to imagine, see this picture. She's in her bedroom. She is gone. She's laying on the floor. Al is weeping. And I laid my hands on her. Dear God, please, we love Joanne so much. Would you raise her from this God? If it be your will, will you lift her up? And I'm not kidding you. We waited for 30 seconds, 45 seconds. A minute. And she didn't raise up from the dead. She was gone. And I remember driving home that day thinking, God, why didn't you raise her up? I mean, I really believe that he has the power to do it. Don't you believe that? That he could do that. But the truth is, he doesn't usually do that. But I thought I'd ask anyways. I find myself often thinking about those kinds of situations, spectacular things like people being healed and being raised from the dead. But I would be happy with God if He would just give me power to share the gospel with people, to live the right kind of life with my wife, to be the right kind of friend, to know what to speak to you when I come to share with you. Words that have power that might transform your life just a little bit. Any of that would be fine for me. Because the Bible's really interesting. If you'd open your Bibles in Acts chapter 1, there's some really wonderful things said here. But preceded by what is said in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to his disciples, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, that I want you to have power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That's interesting. It's not just said in Luke 9. It's also said in Matthew 10. And it's also repeated in Matthew 28. I want you to go into all the world, right, making disciples of all people. Remember what he also says? Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Now look, I don't want to get into a debate today, a charismatic, non-charismatic debate about what's possible for today, but I do want to say this. God's power is available. God, our God, is a powerful God, and He wants to give us power to live the life that He intended for us, doesn't He? But if we're going to experience that power, if we're going to be effective in sharing the gospel, if we're going to see people come to faith in Jesus, and sometimes, 
Some people healed. What do we need to know about the power of God? Is there a formula that we could, like if we did steps one through seven, have the power of God available to us? Is there something you could read and after you put it down, you walk out and you go, oh, now I get it. It all makes sense. I experienced now the power of God. No, there's not. You need to understand that there is no formula. But in Acts chapter 1, there seems to be a teaching there that tells us what we should do to prepare our hearts to receive the power of God. If Midtown Church wants to be a church that absolutely makes a difference in this community, you cannot, and you need to hear me, you cannot do it on your own abilities. It's not up to you. It's not because of your giftedness. It's not because you can speak well. It's not because you look good. It's not because you're clever. No, the only way Midtown and every other church in Austin, Texas is going to be effective for the gospel of Jesus is that we have the power of God flowing through us, making a difference. Well, if you would, I, this is my tradition, and you don't have to do it, but I invite you to do it. Would you please stand in honor of God's Word as I read it? Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I love this. This is Luke speaking. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taking, taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven." Our Father, we pray that you'll take the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart, make them pleasing in your sight, O oh God. Would you just open our hearts to hear from you today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Now, with your finger in that passage in your Bible, I want to share with you four principles that I see here that I 
see as universal in church history and see throughout the scripture as a, not a formula, but as a, a launching point for the church to experience the power of God. Here's the first of those four principles. Here it is. Preparation to receive God's power begins by understanding God's truth. Now look at the first three verses here. We notice what Jesus teaches His disciples. This is interesting. Before He leaves the earth. Now I don't know if you get your mind around this, but Jesus resurrected from the dead. And you know that, of course. It's so, uh, it's, everybody knows that. But most people, or a lot of people, don't realize he was on the earth for 40 more days. That's kind of interesting. And during that period of time, he taught them many things. It says here that he taught them convincing proofs that he was alive. He taught them about the kingdom of God. He gave specific instructions to his chosen. And there's some things we just don't know what he taught. Very fascinating. It's not, it's, not, it's not exhaustive what he said, but we know there were other things he said. So we ask it this way. Who did he instruct? Look at it, verses 1 through 3. The apostles he had chosen. And through whom did he teach them? Through the Holy Spirit, it says. And how long did he teach them? Forty days. And what terminated his 40 days of teaching? Well, it's this event. He went up into heaven. He ascended. And that ended his face-to-face conversation with the disciples. Now, here's a question I ask in this first principle. Is it possible to experience the power of God in all things, especially as preparation for gospel mission without understanding God's truth? Is that possible? Well, maybe. There are some people that are outliers a little bit who don't seem to understand anything at all. But the best opportunity we have to experience the power of God is by understanding God's truth. Now, here's an interesting question. Why don't we understand God's truth? I mean, it's crazy to me. I mean, when I was first starting ministry, and I feel like I was, I feel like I'm 35 today. I, I still, I mean, I look at the back of my neck and I know I'm not 35 for sure. I look so old. Don't look at the back of my neck later. I'll be watching your eyes. <laughs> but in my day, um, especially when I first started, theology, biblical theology was central. And <laughs> logic <laughs> was part of the discussion. And in the world you all are living in, logic's been thrown out the window, and there is very little absolute truth. I mean, people can be holding a stick that's blue and having someone across the room go, no, it's not blue, it's fluorescent orange. It's crazy, isn't it? So we have to have the truth in our life, but why don't we as believers have the truth? First of all, because we don't pursue it. Jesus said, you have to have my words so that you can abide in me. Sometimes we don't know the truth because we don't persevere in its pursuit, says Proverbs 2. You got to stay after it like mining for gold and silver. Sometimes we don't pursue God's truth because we don't like what it says. 
We look at it and we go, oh, oh, Bible's asking me to do that. That's not what I want to do. And one of the reasons I say we don't understand God's truth is this, and I just say this, is because we don't depend on the Holy Spirit. I've been reading through the Bible this year. I'm in the book of Hebrews, Genesis, now Hebrews, after Matthew. I'm having the hardest time understanding the book of Hebrews. And I've been to seminary. I have to just stop sometimes and go, Lord, <laughs> I'm going to read this out loud one more time. Trying to understand. And finally what I do, and I wished I did it right away, Holy Spirit, would you help me? You know what? The Spirit will help you. Now there's a second principle I want you to see here. If we want to be in a position to receive God's power, it means that we need to wait in God's presence. Look at verse 4. One occasion while he was eating with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but what? Wait. Now, if you were a disciple in Acts chapter 1, would you want to wait? Or would you want to get out there in Jerusalem and tell everybody exactly what Jesus had told you in the first minute of instruction? I mean, how many of us are so quick to try to tell other people what we just learned without what we just learned dwelling in our hearts richly? We're so quick to want to tell people what's true without waiting on it being important to us. But that's what the Bible says. It says to wait. For example, Psalm 38.15 says, I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O my Lord. Isaiah 38.18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice, Blessed are those who wait for Him. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the Lord. Isaiah 40.31, Those who wait for the Lord will mount on eagle's wings and run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. I love this one. Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. I'm going to say to you, my life usually doesn't wait. I mean, it's hard for me, an active kind of guy like me, to get up and spend an hour just waiting on the Lord. Just being still. I mean, I do want to run out and teach. I do want people to know what I just learned. And with Facebook, I'm so tempted all the time just to go, oh, there's a verse. I'm going to post that one. That's a good one. It's, it's just not part of who we are. And yet, in a biblical mindset, the Lord is saying to us, be still and know that I'm the Lord. You know, I don't know why it is that we don't want to wait. Maybe we're afraid of being quiet or something. I don't know, but let, let, me, let me just try this. I, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes right here in the middle of this message. Right now, bow your head, close your eyes. And for 30 seconds, I'm going to let you wait on the Lord. And here's the one thing I want you to ask him. Lord, 
Is there anything you want to say to my heart in these next 30 seconds? You ready? Bowed heads. Don't look around. Don't see what anybody else is doing. Bow your head. Close your eyes. Wait on the Lord. Lord, I wait on you. time. Was that painful? Was that good? Did God say anything to you in those 30 seconds? Maybe just write something down that he might have a nudge. He gave you a thought, a person, someone you need to talk to, someone you need to reach out to. Write write it down. That's how God speaks, those nudgings of the Spirit. Here's the third principle I want you to see that puts us in a position to experience the power of God. It includes gathering with God's people. Look at verse 6. So, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, when I first was reading through this text, I have to tell you, I did not notice it. I didn't see that twice in these two sentences, it, it says that they waited together while they met together. And so I thought to myself, I'm going to read through the book of Acts a little bit and see how many times that phrase appears. It appears tons of times. But let me give you just a couple of examples of believers waiting together and as they gather together, the power of God showing up. Acts 1.12, as they gathered together, God gave them wisdom to pick the next apostle. Acts 2.1, as they gathered together, God sent His Spirit and the church was born. Acts 3.32, as they gathered together, God met everyone's need in the body. Acts 6.2, as they gathered together, God gave wisdom how to meet the widow's needs. Acts 13, as they gathered together, God identified Saul and Barnabas to be sent out as missionaries. Acts 15, as they gathered together, God gave wisdom about Jews and Gentiles in one body. Now look, I know personal prayer is important, and I do it. And so do you. But you know what's also important? Gathering with the body of Christ. You need this. It's so important to be together to discern the purposes of God and also to understand that this might be the situation in which God leads us to His power to see it. Let me say it a different way. Everybody here needs at least three people in your life. Number one, you need a Paul. That's someone that's just a little bit more experienced. A mentor, so to speak. Someone that you could talk to and just bring your agenda to and ask questions of. Everyone needs one Paul in your life. Secondly, everyone here needs a Barnabas in your life. Someone who comes alongside and And you say to that person, am I thinking the right way? I don't don't know what to do. And they're your buddies. They're your friends. They're your girlfriends. They they are kind of where you are spiritually. It doesn't matter age, but it's experience. you, You relate to them. And it's a back and forth relationship. And then thirdly, everybody here needs a Timothy. 
You need someone that you're pouring your life into. Because you know why? When you have a Timothy, there's an accountability for your own life. You're trying to teach somebody else how to do it. And as Paul says, you say to them, well, this is how I do it as God teaches me. This is how I do it. And you're influencing that person after you. Now, I've, I've got all those kind of people in my life. I've always had those kind of people in my life. Uh, Justin Christopher, one of your pastors. I've known him since he was a college student. That's how old I am. Because Justin is really old. <laughs> Justin was one of my Timothys. And now he's become one of my Barnabases. That's how it works. And I've always had someone more experienced to get with and, and just bounce my ideas off. But let me tell you this. If you're not intentional about this, it will be easy for you to walk away from this experience, to isolate. Last January, I stepped down as the senior pastor of a church I pastored for 27 years. I've been in ministry since 1979. Now, you would think a guy like me who talks to other people and has lived the life would never make bad decisions about these kinds of things. But you know what? For about six months, I totally isolated. I don't know what happened. I can't explain it to you. And I remember in some of those dark moments, and they were dark, trying to just say, what's next, Lord? I mean, am I able to help? I don't know what to do. I was lost. There were thoughts I had that I've never thought in my entire life. I mean, things that scared me. And it was all because I was isolated. I needed people in my life. And I'm telling you, you need people in your life. You need people to pat you on the thigh and say, don't go there. You need people to put their arms around you and say, I'm here for you. You need people when you're feeling distance and confusion and lostness, even in your Christian life, that you can call up and say, can we just talk? I just need to download. Everybody needs that. And the beauty is, as we're gathered together, as we're strengthened together, the Bible says the power of God shows up in incredible ways. Listen, all the great revivals in history did not come from people isolating in their homes. It came as people gathered together in prayer and sought the Lord together, and, and the Spirit of God came in power as people were committed to being together. God wants you to be together. So one last principle I want to share with you to, to at least give us an opportunity perhaps to see the power of God in our midst, and it's this. It's understanding God's truth. It's based on waiting in God's presence. It's, it's based on gathering with God's people, but this is the most important. If you want to experience the power of God, I think it's essential that you know God's person. Verse 9 says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently to the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee said, Why do you stand here looking in the sky? And this is the key. Circle this in your Bible. This 
same Jesus. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, who was with you on earth, who spoke to you and you saw his face. I just think about it. There was a generation that could hug Jesus. There was a generation that heard his voice without any question. They heard it in time and space. There was a generation that was with Jesus, and I got to just tell you, I long for that. I mean, I long for the day I'll get to hug him. Better yet, that he hugs me. And honestly, I got to tell you, if while I'm speaking to you all, the door open right now, and Jesus wanted to show up and do a theophany kind of deal and, and come up here to the stage, I'm sure he would say, can I take it from here? And I'm telling you, I'm sitting down. Because I love him. I love him and he knows all things and he is wisdom. He is the resurrection, the life, the way, the truth. He is all those things. And I'm almost embarrassed that I stand up and say I'm speaking for him. Because there's no way I can get it perfect. But he gets it perfect. And that's what the expressed power of God does in our lives. It, it, it's an expression that people see beyond the humanity of who we are and they say, there's something different about that person. In fact, it's interesting. John and Peter were testifying be, before the intimidating Sanhedrin. And this is what they say about them. I love this. Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Wouldn't that be the greatest thing in all the world? That your friends that are so far off, that are so pushing against truth, that have so many questions, would say to you, you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to say, it's hard to get my mind around my relationship with you because there's something extraordinary about you. It's almost like when I'm with you, I'm like, I'm in the presence of God almost because of the way you love me. Now listen, you can, you can know God's person. John 15, Jesus said, you can abide in him. Philippians 3, Paul says, you can know his power. And Daniel eleven thirty two 32 says, the people who know their God will display strength. Wouldn't it be great if people said about us, that guy, that young lady has been with somebody that's influencing them profoundly. And as we 
put ourselves in this position to understand God's truth, to, to wait in the presence of God, to gather with God's people and to know God's person, we're going to be surprised what begins to happen around us. We're not going to be talking about mission strategy per se. We're going to be talking about the personhood of God flowing through us in power so that the world cannot deny that we are transformed people in the image of Jesus because he lives inside of us. You know, there's a lot of reasons not to like Facebook, and I'm old. That's one of the reasons old people aren't supposed to be on there, but I am. Um, but you know, for me, Facebook, there's one incredible blessing of Facebook. I graduated from Layton High School, Utah, went to the University of Utah. All, I, uh, not all, but, but maybe 60% of my friends were from an LDS, Latter-day Saint background. And if you're a, a Mormon, I love you, but I, I would challenge Mormons to understand the grace of God. I don't think they understand the grace of God. 2 Nephi 3.18 says, We're saved by grace through faith after all we can do. No, no. It's either grace or not. One of the two. When you talk to a high school Mormon student or a college Mormon student, it's virtually impossible to win them to Christ. Almost impossible. Because, you know, most of them are going to graduate from high school and go on a two-year mission. And they get even stronger in what they believe. There were two young ladies in my high school class, very beautiful. Everybody liked them and the whole bit. And I had shared the gospel with them repeatedly in high school. Of course, they married into the Mormon faith, were sealed in the temple, and, you know, were going to be united in eternity, married for time and eternity to their Husbands, and on and on it goes. It's, it, the more you stay in it, the more you're in it. And I cannot believe this. I'm, I'm on Facebook communicating, and I see these two young ladies, and they're talking in words that aren't Mormon words. And I wrote them both. I wrote the first one. I said, hey, uh, can I just ask you? I sense that something's happened in your life and you enjoy the presence of God, and you are walking in Him, in His grace. Those aren't Mormon words. She writes back, she goes, Yes, I've become a born-again believer, and I knew that you were a Christian in high school. I knew you'd be happy to hear this. <laughs> so I write her back, and I said, Hey, um, Linda, do, do you know that Sheila, and I named her name, who was like the strongest Mormon in the whole high school, she also is a born-again believer. Did you know that? She writes back, oh, praise Jesus, she writes. So here's my point. What I tried to do in my clever arguments and personality and strength as a high school student of 18 years old God does in a moment with his power. So here's what I want to ask you. Are you living totally dependent on the power of God? Do you turn to him daily 
And like Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you turn to him daily and say, Lord, this is going to be a wasted day if I don't depend on you? Do you walk out in the world filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled by him, because you've asked him to reveal any known sin that hinders your life? You've confessed it. And you've asked him to fill you, control you with his spirit. Or do you just get up, get going, and hang out with people and thinking, you know, I'm going to do my very best? And at the end of the day, there's very little result. Perhaps you don't walk in the power of the Spirit and you are defeated right now by besetting sin. Maybe even last night, there are things that you experienced that you come here today and you go, oh, if people only knew. You know what? God knows. And he doesn't stand to beat you up and to crush you and to push you away. He stands to say, I love you. I want you to walk in my power. I want you to be transformed by my spirit. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of who I am. Knowing that you don't have to be defeated by that sin. Would you bow your heads with me and just close your eyes for a moment? And I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Don't even think about that. But I do know, I've lived long enough to know that in a room this size with this many people, there are a number of people who are walking in defeat. There's a despair even sometimes. Wishing that God would just overpower and take over. In a room this size, there are people who have never said to God, I believe you with my whole heart. I know I'm lost without you. And I want you to save me. I'm much worse than I could ever imagine myself to be. But you, God, are so much more gracious than I could ever imagine. For someone here today, this could be the day that you turn your face towards God. He's waiting. And for someone who knows God, and yet there has been a resistance to His kindness, there's been more a choice to do it your own way. Today, He stands with outstretched hands inviting you to lay it down. In just a moment, we're going to come to the table of communion. A few more things will be said about it. But this communion table is an invitation from Jesus to remember what He's done for you. We don't have to live powerless, but we can live with His strength flowing through our very being, our, through our lives, the energy of Jesus, the flow of His Spirit giving us strength. Who wouldn't want that? 
invite you as our musicians, invite us that we would, during this time of communion, have a conversation with Jesus. In his name we pray.